Hello everyone and welcome back to Breaking the Boundary podcast. I hope you all had an amazing Diwali this year and there's a lot going on in the world right now so I hope this can be your little safe space for a tiny bit. In this episode we dive into Abby Sharma, a contestant and actually the youngest contestant on BBC Apprentice this year. We delve into his upbringing and how entrepreneurship has influenced his life and touch on topics such as what Abby learnt from Lord Sugar, how he even got onto The Apprentice and how he switched from a nine to five corporate lifestyle to creating his own personal brand, Abby TV. So stay tuned and I hope you really enjoy this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of Breaking the Boundary podcast hosted by me, Ria. This podcast is a safe space to explore the stories of incredible South Asian millennials and beyond who have chosen to break boundaries in their life and are going outside conventional norms. I'm really excited to introduce my next guest to you, Avi Sharma, who is a creator and entrepreneur with his own media platform, Avi TV which is centered around business, wealth, and success. Avi is a striking example of someone who has broken boundaries in the South Asian community, having left his corporate job at Barclays as assistant vice president to take on the role of being the youngest candidate of the BBC Apprentice 2023. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ria. This is going to be a good one. Yes, exactly. No, I'm so happy you're here. And I feel like we have a lot of interesting topics to discuss as well. Oh, yeah. I don't think you mentioned that we went to uni together. So, um, you know, it's nice to have known you since back then. And um, I'm, I'm loving what you're doing now with the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know. Weird how it's been so long since uni, but I like that we're both following our creative endeavours and just seeing where it takes us. Yeah, of course, of course. Great. So, what are you going to ask me first? You're ready to go already. Well, we're going to start off with a quick fire round. Just to get, you know, you warmed up. So are you ready for this quick fire round? There'll just be five questions. Okay, ready. What is your go-to pastime? Going in the spa of my gym. Nice, nice. What is your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure. Women. (laughs) Okay. Dine in or dine out? Dine out. Okay. What are you most looking forward to this year? I'm looking forward to seeing where Avi TV goes by the end of this year. Because it could go anywhere. So let's see. Nice. Um, And finally, do you believe in free will? Yes, 100%. I believe it totally, totally. We have the power to build our reality. And I I believe in having an internal locus of control. We've got the power. Love that. No, that is the quick fire round. Now we can move on to the, you know, the main bits. And I guess I wanted to know more about your background as a South Asian. Um, you know, where does your family originate from? And Sure. Uh, yeah, where are you from? So I was born in London in 1998. And my mum and dad were born... My dad was born in Wolverhampton in 1962 and my mum was born in Bradford in 1966. So I don't know what generation that makes me, but both my parents were born here. Both my parents went to uni here and both my parents were very good students here. So I've been very lucky and as, as have my siblings 
you know it's not like my parents migrated here from another country they they did have to work hard and they faced racism when they grew up but i think they were born here so they had it easier than a lot of people and if you're talking about back home well in in the in the home country my dad's side are from a place called Jalandur in Punjab and my mum's side are from a place called Mugga in Punjab so with with Punjabi on the Indian side great no that's really nice to just hear about your background and upbringing and how do you think it sort of influenced who you are now as you know your parents are both born in the UK do you feel like you know you could adapt to UK culture easily or how has the influence been on you definitely I've adapted I think I've adapted very well I mean for starters, when your parents are born in this country, they don't have an Indian accent. And immediately that, that makes things easier because you introduce your friends to your parents and they can actually have a conversation, you know? It's, there's no language barrier, which I definitely faced with my friend's parents who didn't speak English. Um, and another thing is growing up and going to school and learning English, and having a vocabulary, when you have parents who are who, who speak the language, I, my English was better than some actual English people. Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I could articulate myself better than, you know, some of the, 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 the white kids in my class. So I think I'm very, very lucky that I've got parents that were born here and that worked hard. But the people who took the risks were actually my grandparents. My my paternal grandfather, my my babaji, he came to the UK very early in 1952, and we all remember that because that was around the time the Queen had her coronation. So, a lot of South Asians migrated to the UK. You know, the 60s and 70s. My grandfather and grandma, both of them came in the 1950s, and they settled in the Midlands in, in Wolverhampton. So, you know, very lucky that he, he took the risk. He was probably about my age when he came to the country. That's the person who started from zero, from scratch. He took a big risk to come here and none of us would be where we are if he didn't take that risk. He didn't just bring himself. He was the first person to come here from the whole family. He's the eldest brother. So he brought his brothers over, his sisters, his children, everybody over. And... um yeah, he was the one who took the risk. And and on my mum's side, yeah, they came a little bit later in the 60s, but very lucky that they, they made that jump. It just shows that, you know, once you've settled in to a new country, they did that at your age, uh, where you are right now. It just shows the amount of barriers and boundaries they might have faced at the time, but it's made your life easier now. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it, I didn't realise it growing up because you still get looked at as a brown kid, as an Indian kid, but I don't think I was looked at the same as other brown kids, maybe. I only actually realised that later on. Really? What do you mean by that, though? In what way do you think you were looked differently as other brown kids? Put it this way. If you step into my house, it might not have smelled of Indian Indian or Indian food. Yeah. And that's not because... And, and you know what I mean, like, those little things that my parents are not fresh and... They've accustomed themselves to society. They're not new to this, to, to life in London. So yeah, if, if I had friends and I brought them over, it was a similar experience to when I went to their houses and stuff. And as whitewashed as that sounds, 
I think it helped me fit in. Mm. And look, I think it's it's good to be unique and it's good to be different. Fitting in isn't good. And I think now it's actually cool to be different. You know, it's more celebrated than it was before, but it does mean you've got an easier upbringing when you fit in. No, that makes a lot of sense, to be honest. And, you know, you mentioned because your parents are born in London, it's easier for you to adjust to the UK and the culture here. But did you ever feel like people misconceived who you were or they stereotyped you as a South Asian then? Have I ever been stereotyped? I mean, the, the times I would maybe look back at are when I used to play cricket and I, I played quite seriously, actually, up until the age of 16. And I captained my school. I captained both schools, primary school and secondary school. And you you get a, sometimes a few comments here and there, but I've been very lucky. I, I haven't received much at all in terms of being stereotyped. And I, I do think in this country, I mean, look, the, the prime minister is brown. He looks like us. Yeah. Yeah. So if he can do it, so can we. If he can make it in this country, so can we. I don't think we've had it nearly as bad as, as maybe some other ethnic groups. But I think also it, it also goes down to how confident you are. And that's something my parents always instilled in me. So maybe that's the reason I wasn't stereotyped because I feel like me and my siblings have always been confident. That's really nice that they brought you up with that. And I think you do raise that interesting point of the kind of privilege we have compared to other ethnic minorities, which isn't really talked about enough because it is a bit of a grey area and almost like a taboo topic. Like People don't acknowledge that we do have a certain level of privilege compared to other communities. So I really appreciate that you brought that up. Well, I like, just to jump in, I like your podcast because it's, it's about, it's brownery, it's brown people, but even within brown people, I bet a lot of racist people or people who aren't surrounded by diversity would look at brown people all the same, but they're really not all the same. And where I'm from, India, Indians are the richest ethnicity in the United Kingdom. But then you look at the poorest ethnicities in the United Kingdom and it's people maybe from the Bangladeshi community or the Pakistani community. So there's a big difference in, in, in wealth. Um, even among brown people yes 100 percent. sometimes you're right they do put every sort of brown person in one box in one label and they think every brown person is, is the same and they're like you mentioned there's so much cultural diversity and differences between them which is another reason i wanted to create this just to raise awareness and just show the different types of boundaries that we face and we're not letting that hold us back there's just so much we've achieved and so have you you've achieved so much that i'm, I'm really excited to talk about so you know, what other parts of your upbringing have influenced who you are right now? I'll tell you. So business has always run in my family, on my mum's side and on my dad's side. My grandfather came to this country in the 50s and he worked day and night in a factory. And uh, one day he built his own factory when he got enough money. On my mum's side, again, in Bradford, he set up corner shops he had his own magazine my nanaji so business has always run through my family and my dad being no different he started his own business which was a children's nursery this is what i want to say about how our upbringing has been affected because when your dad owns the nursery that you go to 
and you're four years old and you walk in and there are 15 staff who look after 60 kids wow and you are the one golden boy whose dad owns the business before you even stepped into school you have this sense of pride this sense of importance this sense of i'm different to everybody else maybe i don't know exactly why everyone treats me a bit different a bit better i've got different rules to everyone else when everyone else has to go in to eat i'm still maybe allowed to play outside if i want to you know if i if there's a certain food that's being served that i like i'm allowed to ask for more and i might actually get more do you get it like from when i was very very young being the son of an entrepreneur and actually being part of his business it instilled confidence in me that was before i even started school and you know, all my siblings were part of the children's nursery and we've, we, we grew up and we actually worked in the nursery when we were older, part time. So we understood the business. But yeah, I think that upbringing and it all, like I said, it all goes down to my grandfathers who took the plunge to come to this country and, and be absolute nobodies just so we could hopefully be somebody. That is really interesting. Having that privilege of you know your father being an entrepreneur owning this business gave you that confidence and do you you think it's carried with you throughout where you are now having that confidence and feeling like you can break the rules a bit and, and bend things to your your will 100 percent. it all started there and it didn't stop in school I, I used to get into a lot of trouble and it would always be my parents coming in and having talks with the teachers and I was never a bad kid, but I, I would say I was just an attention seeker. And this was especially during secondary school. Yeah, I've always tried to break the rules. And I ha maybe I haven't tried to break the rules, but I just, <laughs> I, I just have. And I've, que I've questioned things. So, so yeah, it's always, it's always showcased in my life. So, in a way, you feel like you've been able to, you know, bend the rules. And, but do you think that everyone has access to that? Or do you think... That only some people have access to do doing that that's a really good question when you say access do you mean is everybody able to do that yeah do you think everyone if they really wanted to they could adopt this mindset and kind of have it carry through them with them through their life as unfortunate as it sounds i don't think everyone can do it i think it's harder for some people to adopt this risk-taking mentality than others. And the way you can adopt it is by seeing it yourself in your own house, growing up. Like I said, my parents were born in this country and I'm so lucky about that. It allowed me to take bigger risks. You know, I guess there's more riding on it. Like some of my friends whose parents were born elsewhere, they have to sort of put bread on the table for their parents. Yeah. That The money they earn from when they work, it might go towards the family rent it might go towards the you know the weekly tesco shop yeah it might go towards so many things which i completely can't even relate to already my ceiling my ability to dream big it's probably more than theirs because while they're thinking about earning money to help their mum to maybe retire their mum i've never ever had to think of that and i i can actually think of what i want to do for myself so to answer your question, I think it's unfortunate, but no, not everybody has access to have that same risk-taking mentality. I guess 
another question that comes to mind is, have you ever seen then your, your family businesses struggle or have you seen big risks be taken where you didn't know what the outcome would be? And how did you kind of deal with that? It's crazy because my dad is an entrepreneur and my mum is a commercial lawyer. So she's an employee. And the stark differences in their life was made apparent to me at a very young age. With my dad, even when there was immense turbulence going on in the business, he would never really bring it home. He would never make us feel like there's a problem. And years later, he, he opened up and he said, you know, there were times where I wasn't even able to pay the staff when they needed to be paid. He never told us that. We didn't always know, to be honest. I think during times of recessions, he would sometimes say like, all right, we need to be a bit careful now on spending. But on the whole, no, he he kept it away from us. He's been a really good dad. Wow. And and what about your mum's side then? Because you mentioned she's a lawyer. She has more of a, you know, is it more of a nine to five job? Oh, yes. So so she was actually a judge um, for 10 years and she stepped down recently. But she's kept up her her commercial law the lifestyle is completely different like she you know sometimes she's leaving the house at seven in the morning and coming back at seven in the evening and then she's cooking dinner you know and my dad on the other hand he will work wake up early work and he'll take a two-hour nap in the middle of the day because he's able to do that and growing up we witnessed this as kids and so from a very early age we we sort of saw the difference between the employee and the entrepreneur. The one thing I find interesting is that, you know, you've kind of tried out both lifestyles. So you've you've had a bit of both. You've had the corporate office job lifestyle, like your mum, in a sense. And then you've now moved on to the entrepreneurial lifestyle like your dad. So I would be really curious about your perspective as someone who's broke free from this nine to five lifestyle. How does it feel? And what are like, you know, the benefits and maybe some of the things that aren't so good about it. Ria, it's funny, even before A-levels, I turned to my parents because I hated exams and I hated studying. And I said, I don't want to do A-levels because I knew what I was in for. A-levels are not a joke. Yeah. So I told them straight, I was like, please, I don't want to do them. And they both did A-levels. They both went to uni. Yeah. So it was a bit of an expected thing for me to do it. And I'm the eldest of four. So it's kind of when you're the eldest of four, whatever you do, the, the younger siblings kind of maybe follow, but or, or they just take track of it. So they w- really wanted to get things right with me. So they convinced me to do the A-levels against my will. And I did well. I got A star AA. And after that, uni to do economics, I was kind of scammed into it again it it got to uni I said I don't really want to go to uni I want to just jump straight into business Mm. and mum and dad again were like no look you gotta keep your options open you know we went to uni you're gonna love uni and I knew I would love uni uni was lit yeah amazing you make so many friends you have the time of your life you go out three times a week but long term and I was thinking about my future so again, I was scammed into doing A-levels. I was scammed into going to uni. Then I finish uni, or I get to second year of uni, and I start applying to the internships. Yeah. Because that's what everyone on my course is doing. And my mum always stressed the importance of working in a corporate because she did it and she saw the benefits of it. 
again, I was scammed into working for a corporate by my parents. And my mum always said, look, just do it, even if it's for a little while, because it's going to give you a polish, the corporate world. It's going to teach you about how to operate in a big company. You know, how do the big players really do it? Yeah. And I didn't want to do it, but again, I was scammed into it. So, yeah, I worked three years at Barclays and I was always looking for a way out. From the day I, I started at Barclays, I never really found the work that interesting. I didn't have anything against the people. In fact, I actually really liked my colleagues that I worked with. I made so many friends at Barclays, but I just didn't like the work. So I was always looking for a way out and I was always applying for other opportunities. So one day I applied to The Apprentice and I somehow get through all the rounds and the executive producer calls me and says in true X Factor style, we're so sorry, Avi, but you're going to have to spend more time with us. <laughs> and so I go into work the next day, I tell my boss, and I say, oh, I've been given this chance to go on TV. I can't tell you the name of the show because I signed an NDA, but can you give me three months off? I've given you three years of service. Can I have three months off? He said, my boss said, it's not up to me. It's up to the director. So I queued up outside the director's office. Just before I walked in, I was told by my boss, Avi, I want you to remember that nothing is personal. And as soon as he said that, I knew what was coming next. So I walked in to the director's office and he was this big New Zealand man. I was very new into his role. And he said to me, Abby, stop messing us about. You're gonna have to make a choice right now. Your TV show or your job, which is it gonna be? And it took me 10 seconds. And I'd already thought of this quite a lot before. So it just took me 10 seconds and I told him straight, I choose the TV show. And I stepped out, I went to the Canary Wolf shopping mall I bought them chocolates, sweets, gifts, cards, and I went back to Barclays. I gave it and I said, see you later. And that was it. I never looked back. I was always looking for a way out. Mm. And that was my way out. <laughs> that was your opportunity, the golden opportunity. You saw it and you took it. 100%. Yeah. But I'm more curious before we get on to your apprentice, because, you know, all the stuff in the apprentice, which I'm really curious to hear about, but... You mentioned, you know, you're, you felt like you were scammed in a way to go to sixth form, go to uni. But now you have the skills from sixth form and uni. Are you happy you have them? Or if you had the choice to go back and redo those years, would you have done that? Oh, I think one of my biggest skills is my ability to write. And I don't think I'd have that if I didn't do three years of uni and two years of rigorous A-levels. But if I could go back in time and not go to uni and not do A-levels, I would love to have done that. If I could go back in time, I would spend my days reading books, like important financial books and self-development books as well. I just think there's so much more you can gain from self-education than learning from a syllabus and, and, and learning the same knowledge that everyone else has because it doesn't make you any different. So yeah. As, as good of a time as I had at uni, and I'm telling you now, I, I think I had an absolute blast. I, had, I probably had a better time than most people. As good a time as I had, I, I, if I could go back, I wouldn't go. Wow. And I appreciate your honesty because a lot of people would just say, oh, no, I'm happy. I, I, you know, I'm happy the way my journey it all worked out. But 
no I think it's, sometimes it's good to hear the other side the other perspective you know nothing is perfect right no journey is perfect no it isn't no it isn't but look from my experience when I have children I can now guide them in a better way or a closer way to, to success than maybe how I was guided so I can pass it on to the next generation so did you have any other mentors that you looked up to to kind of motivate you to think this different way? Because not a lot of people do think that they don't want to go to uni in the brown community, I would say. A lot of people are happy with the idea of just going to uni, getting a job. Who influenced you? I'm very lucky because it's not just my dad and my grandfathers who are in business. It's, it's also the wider family as well. And one of my uncles, my Masur, he's an ultra successful man. And just from a very young age, he's influenced me. You know, when I was nine or 10 years old, he, he, he invited us all over to say he's bought a new car. And I'm not even into cars, but he took us all for a spin and it was a black Bentley. And when I, after the spin, I got out of the car and I told him, I want to be rich like you. And he said, rich comes from the heart. And I just thought, what a load of shit like <laughs> I, I want to be I want to be rich you know but I didn't say anything but he did say that to me and um yeah so I did have ultra successful influences outside my family too and I, I just think having role models and 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 positive influences is one of the biggest things anyone needs to become successful yeah, completely agree with you. And you mentioned, you know, you had that environment around you. But for someone who's, you know, listening that may not have those people around them, what would you suggest to them or what advice would you offer them? We're living in a world today that is more connected than ever before. And just because you don't have those people in your life now, it doesn't mean you can't get them at the click of a finger. I think using things like LinkedIn, and building your own personal brand and improving what you have to offer other people so you're not just taking so you actually have something to give would mean that you're a person that other people want to know and if you're a person that other people want to know even if you've got rubbish influences in your life people will, who are successful will gravitate towards you so yeah build that personal brand and and do what you can to even digitally connect with your role models yeah if you you'll be so surprised if you go on linkedin message 300 people who are doing better than you and you ask all of them can you please be my mentor i guarantee you at least one or two of them will at least take you on for a call a catch-up call but people don't do that and, and school doesn't teach you to do that either so i'd say that's a massive thing just because they're not in your life you need to go out and get them yeah I love that I agree completely we are more connected than ever and there's now there's different websites I don't know if you've heard of ADP list but it's literally a website to connect you with other mentors who are in an industry where you might want to be I've had a few conversations on there already and I, I just find it so interesting and insightful talking to people globally all around the world you are doing what you want to do or what you might be interested in mate I, i've never heard of that one adp yeah adp list i'll check it out yeah it's really cool thank you
No, thank you. I guess now I really want to hear about your experience on The Apprentice itself and how did you find that? Because first time on a TV show, is it intense or Mm. how did you feel when you were, you know, doing the tasks? I'm going to answer your question with a, a brown lens because I get asked these questions all the time. But I I, yes. I don't often get asked by people like you. So how was it? Well, I'll tell you, before I got on, I'd watched the show a few times. I wasn't a super fan, but I, I used to watch it when I was younger and I stopped. Uh, and I, re- I recalled, I think ha- being the brown person on the show yeah. is always a big deal. I was actually chatting to Akshay from last year, the other day on the phone, and he, he's... A great role model to me um and we were both saying the same thing being the brown person or brown people on the show there's some kind of expectation for you especially following from last year when a brown girl won the show harpreet but in the past there's quite often a brown person from the show and they are the laughing stock of the show yeah so people like Daniel Alahi, if anyone knows The Apprentice, or Solomon yeah. from previous years, the way the BBC, and it's not them as people, me having gone through the process, I know exactly how it works now. It's not them as people, they're not unserious people, but I think quite often the way that we are shown on TV is like that, like the clown, mm. like the unserious person. You know, the Asian boy, the joker. And deliberately, before I ever even went on, I told my family, I told myself, that is the one guy I don't want to be. I don't want to be the joke man of the series. I just don't want to be that. And then we start the series and I I kind of get siphoned into that hole. So I I had to become that guy. Because it's, it's kind of like, if you're not going to be that guy, no one else will be that guy. And it's also kind of like the producers are egging you on to be that guy. The directors, they're all making you be that guy by the questions they ask you, by the moments they capture of you. So that was the one thing. Looking back, though, I can say that I'm glad that I got to showcase my personality and my my fun side. But yeah, that was something I was very conscious of before the show. Wow. No, I really appreciate that, you know, you're opening up to me on this because it's not an easy thing you know to go through when you feel like you're being put into a box right and the UK media does do that a lot and you know other western media I mean you see it from childhood like even with shows you know the Simpsons you know Apu like even though that's not featuring anymore it's just those influences you see how Indian guys or like you know the Big Bang just having these small roles and it's kind of influenced the culture now you're bringing you're bringing up such a rage in me. I swear to God, because I actually what I I've complained about this so many times to my family. Like even before I went on TV, the Indian guy is never the cool guy, never ever. But in real life, it's not like that. That's why it was so good last year on The Apprentice when Harpreet won and Akshay came on and he actually came across like a boss, because you don't especially with The Apprentice you've never seen that, but. It's something that needs to change in TV. Like, there's firstly, there's not enough brown people in TV, and maybe that's the fault of the brown people who are not 
persuaded to go into the creative industries as much as others. You know, we may be, and it is old fashioned, but there is that whole thing of be a doctor, lawyer, or accountant, whatever. Um, and I know that's changing, but oh, it really um, it builds a rage in me that I can't explain. And yeah. I, I, I want to bring brown people up, especially young brown boys, because I was lucky, you know, my parents were born here. So like I said, I, I feel like I fitted in, but I want to help young brown guys fit in as well and be that cool guy because I just feel like there's so many times when we're we're not that guy yeah I completely understand that but back to the apprentice like when they were kind of egging you on the producers obviously with the different ethnic minorities what would they kind of do for black people and what would they do for white people if you can say did you notice differences I didn't I didn't notice a difference between black and white uh, and even between Asian, because they, you know, every Asian character on this series had had a different had a different persona. I think, you know, no, none of the there were four Asians, brown Asians, this series, and I think they were very different. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, and I can't comment on how it was for white and black candidates. I think only they can comment on that. I can only comment from my own experience. And, and I don't know if it's because I'm brown, I was put into that box. I Maybe it's because of my actual personality. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. Like, you don't really know how people perceive you, which is a difficult thing. Like, either they can perceive you through eyes of colour or just your character. I guess you never really know. You don't know at all. I was the youngest candidate as well. It could have been my age. I was, you know, this year the boys were really tall i'm not a short guy i'm five foot eleven but when i stood next to simba six foot sahel six yeah. foot one joe six foot three brad six foot three mark six foot five it makes me look smaller maybe it was the, oh, wow he's six foot five <laughs> mark is a giant so it, so wow. so yeah it um it could have been that i don't like to play the race card but yeah on tv too many times the brown the brown people are just not cool and i was desperate to change that no i appreciate your honesty abby what else about the apprentice did you find difficult i mean did you ever have imposter syndrome or anything like that being the youngest candidate in that series i i feel like i i dived straight in so whenever there was a task i think so i, I took part in nine tasks six out of the nine tasks i put myself forward for project manager they don't always show it in the edit, but six out, so two thirds of the time I put myself forward, I was hyper confident um, in my abilities. And I think I definitely felt imposter syndrome because Lord Sugar always called me lucky throughout the, my whole time there. So I couldn't really win because when I lost a task, maybe it was my fault, but when I won, I was told, oh, you're lucky. And that's from the big dog. He, he's literally saying that to me. So. I did build an imposter syndrome and I thought to myself, am I really meant to be here if I'm really lucky? So he kept saying it, kept saying it, and it got to task eight, the immersive experience. And I was the project manager for the second time and I won for the second time. And yet again, Lord Sugar said, right at the end, Avi, you're a very lucky boy. To which I responded, Lord Sugar, the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> I love that. None of that made the cut, but, you know, it was building up and building up. 
and I just said it to him. Yeah. And what was his reaction when you said that? He had nothing to say. Like he huffed and it was like a lovely cliffhanger. I'm, I wish <laughs> they showed it. I really wish they showed it. Wow. If someone keeps saying you're lucky, you're obviously going to feel a certain way. But if he did acknowledge that once, that probably would have helped. Yeah, I guess so. But it's, you know what else is? Let me just say this. I was also very aware that it's an entertainment show. Mm. And I was, I was always thinking from the lens of the producers, like, if I was making this TV show, who would I want to stay in the TV show? Well, you'd want people to stay who are entertaining because that's what's going to get you views, right? So I think it's kind of on me as well because I was deliberately more entertaining than I normally would have been because... I thought they're just going to keep me in the show if I'm more entertaining. So, yeah. That is a smart way to approach it, though. And how do you deal with people who question your dreams or just your goals? Because I'm sure you must have encountered a lot of people generally who do question you. I think Lord Sugar really rubbed off on me. And he's a grouchy man. He's a grouchy old man. And he's very direct in how he speaks. But... I love how he can just shut something out. He can put it to bed. So he's got such conviction in what he says and what he believes in. And I think I've kind of taken that as well from the show, especially leaving the corporate world, because when you work for a corporate, especially at junior levels, to be so decisive, it's almost rude to come across and say, yeah. we're going to be doing this. You don't, you don't talk like that in the corporate world. You, you, instead, you say, I think it would be a good idea for us to try this out. You know what I mean? That's how you have to speak. Yes. So if in the business yep. world, you don't speak like that. So he, he, he definitely rubbed off on me. And when people come to me and tell me they don't believe in my goals or me, I've grown this deep conviction in myself where... Yes, yeah, it's, it falls on deaf ears, really. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting how you learned that from the show as well, like from Lord Sugar. And I guess what else did you take away from being on The Apprentice and I guess have more opportunities opened up generally? And yeah. Two things I took away, particularly from Lord Sugar. Number one was the concept of fresh eyes. So I think sometimes when we're in a project or we're doing work, we become so engrossed in it that we don't spot mistakes. So it's the idea of sending your work out, showing other people and getting feedback on it quickly and iterating accordingly. That's the first thing, fresh eyes. But the second thing, he used to say this quite often, he used to say, you can't just wake up on a Monday morning and decide, I want to build a new airline. <laughs> and yeah. and he, what he means by that is, it's all about experience. And so he recommends that anyone who starts a business needs to have experience in that thing, whatever it is. So I took that really to heart as well. That's what I learned from Will Sugar. I'd say the third thing I learned was just to speak up. In the corporate world, we're, we're taught to listen. I would never have dreamed of interrupting someone in the corporate world. But on The Apprentice, you almost have to interrupt the other candidates to get your voice heard and Lord Sugar interrupts people all the time. That's really interesting. It's like the opposite of everything you're, you're taught in the corporate world. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's almost rude, but 
if you want to stop someone from saying it's it's about being quick and sharp. I think that's kind of what the apprentice taught me. And if you look at any of the winners of the apprentice, I think that's one thing they've all got in common. Yeah, being able to think on your feet and adapt. Now you're outside the apprentice, back in the real world. I'm really curious as to how did you find going back into the real world after being on this, you know, show where you can't really go on your phones or see any social media. How was that transition back? Mate, it was crazy because um I promised myself I'm not gonna drink while I'm on the show as well. I wanted to win so much and so I, I wanted to do anything I could to win. And so even three months before the show I didn't drink. So I got fired in June last year, June twenty twenty two. And I literally had a flight to Amsterdam booked and I went there. I don't want to go there again. I've been there four times now. I want to see the rest of the world. But I went to Amsterdam and I had my first drink in nine months. It was amazing. I was with 10 of my boys who were living it up. And it was it was tough to really get back to the real world, though, because you're used to someone listening to you at all times. You're used to not being allowed to go to the toilet unless someone goes with you. You're not used to even having your phone in your hand, so, or even a watch on your wrist. Yeah, it, it, it definitely took me a good month or two to get back in the swing of things. Wow. How long were you kind of involved in The Apprentice show then? Like, how many months were you kind of without your phone? I'd say it was about a bit less than three months. That's a long time, though, in, the, in this age. <laughs> oh, it's so long, man. It's so long. I mean, you get your, you, no, you don't even get your phone. You, you get nothing. You're allowed to call your, your family once a week for like 15, 20 minutes. But even those calls are being listened to. So you, you can't really divulge too much info. Yeah. It's an unforgettable experience. I, I don't know how I'm portraying it, but it's, it's definitely the best thing I've ever done, hands down. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing all the parts of it because that you don't see or you don't really hear of that. I think people don't really talk enough about adapting to your new life because people's lives do change when they're on the TV show, you know, whether you like it or not. It's like you have a new reality. Oh, yeah. And it's also like, I, I wouldn't say I'm a celebrity at all, but the show came out and you go in the streets and people stop you and they want selfies and they want to talk to you, and they have all these questions. And what I took away was my time no longer belongs to like just me and my family. It's now split between a wider group of people. And imagine I took this to a bigger scale. Imagine I was Drake. Imagine I was Cristiano Ronaldo. Can you imagine how they feel when they step out into the public and immediately people are not just harassing, because you, you feel grateful for it. Like, they're telling you they love you and they they're telling you they're your biggest fans and i've had i've had quite a few people who are who are like that to me as well but you are aware that your time is now split up with other people it belongs to other people i guess that goes back to what you're saying about giving more do you feel like you're giving more now than you were before the apprentice 100 percent. i've gone to schools and i've got I've, I've been out in public and i can see it in their eyes like they really look up to me. And before it was just like, I experienced this only in my local community, you know, the people in my area, because I've done well in stages of life, like A-levels, uni, banking, but now it's just on, on a different level. And I, I, I really hope I can keep it up and take it to the next level. Particularly for young guys, 
my heart goes out to them. I wish I had somebody like me growing up. Those are the people I, I really want to champion. It is really nice to hear that, you know, you're taking it in a positive way. Because sometimes I could imagine that, you know, giving out your time to the public, it adds a level of pressure almost to make sure you're performing well all the time or, you know, being on point all the time. Do you experience any of that? Do you feel any pressure and how do you work through that? I need to look good all the time, like without fail. I'm being seen, I'm being, I get selfies taken. Every week I get selfies taken with, with me. If I step out on a night out, I'm bound to come across, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 people who say, and it's, it's completely positive. You, I've barely experienced any negative, which has been amazing, but you need to look good, you know? You need to be getting trims. You need to dress good. You need to smell good. People want to come close to you. They want to hug you. You know, that might be the one time they've ever, they ever, ever meet me. And that's the one impression they're going to get of me. So I need to be on top form if I'm meeting someone for the first time. Yeah, personally, I don't think I could I could deal with that because there's already so much pressure from just the external society to look good all the time. But now it's even it's more personal. And this is the journey I've chosen to go on. I could flop. I could completely flop after this. But because my ambition is to drive Avi TV up, explode the brand, I hope the only way is up. So this is my new life and I've got to enjoy it. Yeah. And speaking of Avi TV, um, can you explain what it is for those of, that are listening that you know don't know what it is? Is it just a media platform? Is it more? What are you doing now and working on? So Avi TV is my personal brand. And it all started when... I think I was maybe 21, 22. And I always used to get questions from young people on how to get into banking and a and things about personal statement and A-levels. And so I just created it so I could help more people on, on, a, on a wider level. And since then, it's transformed into something that's more wealth, and success and business. So those are the types of things I'm interested in, especially owing to my financial background in banking. So yeah, I hope to just be known in the space. Nice. And you know, what is the sort of meaning behind Avi TV? Is it just to promote, you know, the wealth and, and the banking side of it? Um, are you planning to do more with it in the future? Or what have you got any exciting projects coming up? Yeah. I've got gigs and, and like I'm hosting and I'm presenting and I'm doing brand deals. So this is actually the life I've created for myself. It's the life I, I tried to live when I was at Barclays, but I couldn't juggle everything. There's there's some exciting things to come, Ria. Oh, like what? Or you can't share? I won't share yet. No worries, thought I'd try. You know what? I think we've had a really interesting conversation about your background and how your background has influenced your decisions that you've made throughout your life switching careers from nine to five corporate world and adjusting to this new lifestyle where you're you know an entrepreneur doing your own thing as well as challenging the norms that you know other South Asians face on a day-to-day basis I guess the final question I wanted to ask you is what boundaries are you breaking now what boundaries am I breaking what what boundaries or what boundaries I guess it's both boundaries (laughs) you can answer both yeah I'll tell you one boundary i'm hoping to break and that is 
to settle late. You asked me what's my what? What was the first question you asked me? You said guilty pleasure. Is it guilty pleasure? And I said women. Yeah. So my aim, yeah, is to settle and have children as late as possible. And I really want to use this time to grow and to take over the world and to build my empire before I've got people that are dependent on me, completely dependent on me. And I want to level up and I want to become the best version of me possible. Yeah, I guess the boundary I'm breaking. And I I love having discussions with men about this. I don't feel like, like you should get married early, you should settle early as a man. So if that's a boundary, that's the one I'm breaking. That's interesting because I think the perspective of a woman and a man on that topic is different because you could argue that, you know, women, they almost feel more pressure to settle down. They get that narrative played, whereas for men, some say they might have it. Oh, yeah. Less pressure, but then there's more pressure in other terms, like, you know, the financial pressure to do well. Although for both sides, there is still financial pressure and the pressure of settling down, just different forms Mm. of it. Hmm. To pick your poison, yeah. I think those those lines are getting more blurred nowadays. Like, I'm sure women feel pressure to make it financially, as as you say, because the vendor roles are sort of getting more similar as as time goes on. Yeah, that is a whole other topic, though, because yeah, the gender roles being more blurred, it it almost creates more freedom, but then it also creates more confusion at the same time, because it's like what is the sp- supposed right path? Like, or is there even a right path? Whereas, you know, back in mm. maybe 20, 30 years ago, there was a, a right path to follow. There was a set path to go down. Now, because we have that choice, it's like, how do you know you're going on a right path? I think the path is co- is constantly changing. And um, yeah. yeah, but I, I, I'm interested to see how it, how it looks in the future. Same. It will be a really interesting next 10 years for sure thank you for having me today Ria. and i think this this podcast is going right to the top i'm honored that i'm one of your first few few people you've had on here and um yeah i wish you the very best thank you avi for being on as well i've really enjoyed our conversation and so grateful you took out the time you know to talk and go through your experience so openly and honest you didn't hold back about all the different things you faced, you know, about the media, which not a lot of people do touch on. Um, you're definitely going to be inspiring, you know, whoever's watching this or listening to it. So thanks for being on here. Anytime. All right, Ria. Thank you. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. If you did, please do share with a friend, follow the podcast as it really helps it to grow. And be ready and stay tuned for some really exciting episodes we have coming up about various different topics. Um, I really appreciate your support. So feel free to reach out to me about any builds, any thoughts or opinions and stay blessed and see you in the next.